Today's episode is episode 219, and today's episode is called Rational Madness. A little bit of a, what is the word, juxtaposition. Is that the word, juxtaposition? Don't ever use that word. Going to Google it. Yeah, I think it's a juxtaposition, rational madness. Rationality shouldn't lead into madness, but there are many paths into madness and rationality. Secondhand rationality is one of them, as far as I can see. That's what I'm going to briefly touch on in this episode. So in this episode, I just want to talk around this, that I guess the message of this episode is there's no way to go about avoiding the process of thinking for yourself without it ending up in pain. I think the biggest pain, well, not the biggest pain, but one of the more painful feelings in life is when you find yourself in a difficult scenario in your life and you realize you were led down that path by other people, other people's thinking. That's more difficult than going down a wrong alley yourself but at least without your own choosing, your own making. Because there's a, at least there's courage in that. And there's no blaming then. There's no regrets there to the extent that if you're following down a wrong path that somebody else has built and it, deep down you knew you weren't forging this path yourself, there's more of a regret to that. You should have listened to your gut. I guess this is what this episode's about too. It's, it's listening to your gut. This big amount of regret with that, which you don't so much get when you've learned to follow your gut, but you, you end up kind of messing up along the way. At least there's a bit of courage to that. So the f- first thing I want to talk about here is rational ideologues. So these are people who appeal to your rationality. And they do it in a way where it's kind of like, it's kind of like they're the opposite of things that are more esoteric, more intangible, even so far as religion that that needs a certain amount of blind fate. But for me, they give the same vibe. It's just, it's dressed up in rationality. The thing is with these rational ideologues, these people who will try and get you to believe a certain ideology, they do it in such a way where they are convincing. They've done their thinking and they're presenting you with some ideas they have based off of either their own thinking or just thinking that's been passed on to them. To be fair, I suppose nobody thinks in an echo chamber. It's going to be an amalgamation of past things that were thought of by other people. So I don't think that exists, actually, to be honest. Somebody who thinks in an echo chamber and then presents their ideas to the other people it'll be amalgamation I suppose the best I've come to is I'll take on ideas from other people then I'll mix that with some contemplating myself and then reflecting on it in my own individual experience that for me is the is what rationality is about it's forming your own conclusions your own logic that takes time and the thing is with logic, it will change over time as your ideas improve. 
So logic is never really set in concrete, to be honest, even though when you see these types of people, they present whatever they're presenting in such a way where it's like it's foolproof. It's it's like you either believe this or you're a mad person. So that's the first thing I want to talk about, their rational ideologues. You'll find these online. Just be cautious of anybody who's presenting something as bulletproof or that their reasoning is the correct line of reasoning. It's the only way to, to look at something in a productive way. The thing is, I suppose it might, in this podcast, I talk a lot about the nuances and when I think about it too, when I'm presenting ideas or I'm sharing thoughts, I'm going to be overlooking things because number one, it's my own experience I, I have, I don't have other people's experiences. And number two is that when I'm presenting ideas on an episode, it's a very brief period of time. I'm not, I don't have the time to go through every single possible permutation and I don't, I don't have other people to bounce ideas off of who can show me my blind spot. So that's something to be aware of. So if somebody's coming across in a very convincing manner, um, it's healthy to question that. Uh, don't ever blindly follow someone. And this leads on to my next point. The only thing I would blindly I would learn to blindly follow is my gut feeling on something. And that's a very tricky process. It's like learning to even know what that feels like. What is that feeling? What is that gut intuition? Because the the other things I've experienced in my life is I could have a feeling about someone or something and I could end up completely wrong. That can happen. So you're like, well, how do you blindly follow your gut feeling then? Which would have always kind of got me, and I suppose it does to an extent still. But the difference I would see is that when I have a feeling about someone or something, and it turns out to be wrong, it's usually I have my own kind of biases in there. There's experiences I've had that there's certain kind of like I think they're kind of repressed feelings there that make me that cloud my judgment in some way so I might encounter someone who have a feeling that I've met that type of person before and prematurely judge them according to that so that for me isn't looking back in hindsight and that isn't really my gut isn't really my gut instinct i think that's there's a layer of past trauma on top of that clouding my judgment so i suppose that's one thing to keep in mind that those types of experiences they need to be acknowledged you need to acknowledge them yourself whenever you're feeling about someone or something has been off to just make a mental note of that that that's possible that uh it's easy to judge people without even knowing it and to judge them wrong without knowing it. It's good to keep that in the awareness, but at the same time, I wouldn't dissuade myself then from trusting my gut because I've been wrong about things in the past. I suppose the gut feeling I follow today is more so in terms of a sense of groundedness in myself. Like That's the thing that I trust more today. 
that I didn't know how to trust in the past. I suppose that gut feeling is what... It gives me a sense of who I am, what I'm about. And there's no amount of rationality, secondhand rationality, that will convince me of stepping out in the long term away from that gut feeling I have. So this is probably the most important point to take away from my experience is don't ever let somebody use their rationality and logic to disconnect you from your gut feeling. So this could be as simple as peer pressure. That just because the group is doing a certain thing or thinking in a certain way, then that means that you should think or do things in a certain way. I've experienced a lot of that through my teenage years, through my college years. And looking back on it with the contrast of how I live today, I wasn't very connected to my gut feeling I, because it would have required it would have required feeling uncomfortable a lot and then trying to work things out and working on my, my own rationality and my own logical thinking skills. So this is the thing. I think that your rationality is a good portion of it that stems from connecting to your own gut and intuition because in my experience when I haven't been learning to connect with that my mind is too kind of cloudy it's it, it's there's a tendency to look outside myself a lot more too much to other people to take on board their ideas and repackage them as my own that's what i thought logic would have been before when i was growing up was uh just taking on what i would perceive to be the best of the ideas coming at me more so than today, it's, I suppose I, the way I work on it, and I was watching a movie recently actually called The A Dangerous Method, it was recommended to me by a friend, and it it's a story about Freud and Jung, Freud and Jung are in it, and there's a woman in it too, Spielman, I think it was her, her second name, I can't, can't remember what her first name was again, but it's an interesting movie. They definitely recommend giving it a watch. I can appreciate Freud, but I've always been more drawn to Jung, and the reason I've been more drawn to Jung was, and it, 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 it looked at it a little bit in this movie, or it was one of the primary teams, to be honest, is that Jung appreciated the, the importance of the irrational, of the, not even irrational, but the importance of connection to the soul and the spirit. And that's not something that's scientific. And that's kind of where his path diverged with Freud. Freud, and I can understand Freud's point of view back then at that time, is that he wanted to, from what I can see, he wanted to establish psychology as a hard science. And you can't do that if you start wandering into the realm of, I think it was, I think uh, Jung was interested in mysticism. Like there's so many different alternative teachings and alternative ways of being that are outside the realm of science that I feel are also are as important as sciences to have that integration because when you think about it when I think about it anyway the soul isn't something that I it's not it's not a science can't study the soul but so 
from the fact that we can't make that a science, does that mean it doesn't exist and it's not important? In my opinion, in my opinion, that doesn't hold any ground. Uh, I think the soul, the spirit, that's what makes a human an individual. That's that invisible power that somebody can learn to follow through connecting with their gut intuition. And it's not going to come from other people's rationality. So that's another point here is that if you seek to be rational, you have to think about it. Think about rationality as something that's relative. So one man's rationality is another man's poison in terms of if I follow somebody's rationality to a T, it means that I'm in my head because rationality plays out in our head. That's 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 where the rational rationality exists. It exists in our the logic that we formulate in our own thought and our own mind. But there's something deeper than that within the individual, which comes before, in my opinion, it comes before the rationality, and it's more the just that sense, the senses, the sense of connection to yourself, a sense of integrity, a sense of authenticity in yourself. And I suppose there have been things that I've been reluctant to talk about, authenticity and integrity, because I don't feel like I have that 100% of my life, and I'm not sure I ever will. But what I will say is that with integrity and authenticity it's again it comes back to a sense of being still and strong in yourself even when there's chaos around you that for me is what authenticity and integrity is connected to and yeah i've always found them difficult topics to talk about because i thought that you'd need to be feeling that 100 percent to be have any insight around that but i suppose the only insight i really have around authenticity integrity is it's in making decisions like this like for me authenticity and integrity is making a decision that i'm going to be aware of this rational madness so if i see this so there's more of a chance now i see this in individuals around me trying to convince me of certain things to be honest i don't even get pulled in by that anymore because i'm not seeking out that uh, I think there would have been periods in my past where I needed to, to seek out help to start formulating logic and rationality. But there comes a point where you need to break away from that. Because even in that movie, The Dangerous Method, I think Jung was saying to Spielman, he wasn't... he. I think she was. She, she actually said it that that perhaps Freud, in his inner circle. So he had like a circle of people in Vienna that were, I guess, his, his tribe, his tribe of people around him. And Jung had the impression that they just, they were, just taking up scraps from Freud. They weren't challenging him. They were just taking on his scraps, and. Spielman, I think, was saying that perhaps he's gone down the road. Perhaps where he is now is at the stage of obedience. So his followers, even the word follower there as well, they were just being obedient to him, not really questioning, challenging him too much, just taking on his ideas. Whereas Jung wasn't 
like that. I think that's where they, they split. Young placed emphasis on the things that aren't logical. So that's where I would identify with Young is that he placed emphasis on both science and logic and on the spirit realm, more the the stuff that isn't understood through the logical brain, it's more understood through the gut and through the heart. So for me, that's the integration of mind, body and spirit. So like even today I do, do a bit more stretching, a bit more yoga, that type of stuff where it's kind of connecting the body to the breath. So it's, it's the way I think psychology should be approached is the integration of mind, body, spirit. And that's not something that's just purely a science then. It's not purely rationality. And if it is, it's just rash, it's rational madness. I think even in the dependence or the, 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 the dangerous method, that film, um, I think Freud even said it, obviously this is a film, so I don't even know what the real conversations were between these men. But in the film, he says his point was that it was more important for him to be able to just understand the world as it is, how it works with logic. But Jung's point was that he wanted people to see what they could become. So I could see Jung place more importance on transcendence. So it wasn't just important to describe, help somebody figure out where they are right now. It was also important to help them understand what they could be. Again, that like to become something you're not right now, it requires logic that doesn't exist in your mind right now. It requires a version of yourself in the future that doesn't have your problems right now. So that's the transcendence part. And logic doesn't bridge that gap. And so I could appreciate that with Jung there, that that uh, whenever I read this stuff, that's what I see, a man that, that, that has that connection to that, that understanding of that. So it's going to go a little bit into software development here with a point, continuous integration. So this, there's a very good video on YouTube. If you're a software developer or interested in coding in general, I recommend checking it out. It's called How Not to Become a Senior Developer. On this talk, Ted Johansson, he made a number of, from what I could see, were insightful comments about basically how to become a senior developer and how not to become one. And But there were some points in it that were just applicable to life in general. So here, for example, he said, pick up the best ideas you have heard of so far, knowing that you will come across something better and then be ready to drop them. So that is, in my opinion, the best approach to logic you could take in life in general. And it's also the most difficult. It's difficult to take on ideas and then to realize that you're going to outgrow them. You're going, you're going to have to leave them go. Because it's 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 very easy to get identified with ideas. That's how, that's why ideologies are so powerful. And it's a strange phenomenon when you think about it. it like you can you can be very easy to get into a space where you can't detach the person from the ideas, and even the person themselves talking about the ideas, they can't detach themselves from the ideas either. That's something that that I need to be aware of also. Uh, 
it's a feeling you can feel when you're wedded to an idea. It just feels quite stuck and rigid. It's a rigidity feeling to be aware of when it comes to ideas. That's going to stop you from making progress moving forward. So it's useful to just be aware of the feeling in your body when it comes to ideas. And even in this talk, he goes on to talk about how there are programmers who think they've got the best language, the best programming language. Did I write down the quote here? Um, He said something, I I think I missed it here, but he said this in there as well. So when it comes to what is the best programming language, so I think he was, he's just, these are some questions that are, he basically said, the way you ask the question is the way I will answer it. So these questions here were like, how long is a piece of string? Which is the best programming language? And he gives two options here to answer it. You can answer it rationally and realize that there are trade-offs to using any programming language. If there was a single best programming language, then we would all be using it. Or you can answer it emotionally and take the stand that the programming language you know is the best. And you'll see this play out if you're a programmer in programming communities. This is kind of where the cultish vibe comes in, where people get very attached to their language which again, it's it's made, and he says it beautifully at the end here, like a language, it's made up of ideas. So I think that programming is about code in the same sense that writing is about words. It's just the means we use to express our ideas. And what is important is those ideas themselves. And I think programming is about systems in the same sense that writing is about stories. But it's ideas here that people are caught up in a lot of the time. The idea that their programming language is better than another one. It's even ideas that go into formulating their language in the first place. So he, I think he made a great distinguish. He distinguished that really well between answering it rationally. And you know when you're answering it rationally because there's a distance between the ideas and your emotions. This is why I think it's so important to work on emotional intelligence. Because for me, it makes you a more grounded and rational person. Like, if I didn't work on, in any way, shape, or form, my emotional intelligence, I was that person without knowing it, the person that would take aside emotionally without knowing what I was doing. I hadn't an awareness around the fact that I was taking an idea as an absolute truth. And then when somebody would question that, it would trigger me. And you'd end up with these kind of cult-like battles of, my way or the highway it's not even necessarily in programming i just mine wasn't through programming id struggles id struggles with people i encountered when i was younger and i would take one point of view they would take the other and we'd just be at loggerheads and it would create a lot of stress anxiety anger so much negatively charged emotions in me for a very long time and i had no idea it was the ideas we were arguing about and our perceptions we were arguing about, because for me it just felt like reality. It was like, you end up hating a person because of ideas. That's how strong this stuff is. So um, so that's why, I, that's why I think it's, that's why whenever I kind of see men, especially who t- see having an importance on emotional intelligence as a weakness, I'm always perplexed by that because for me, it makes you more rational and logical because you're not wedded to your ideas so much because you have that emotional awareness. So that's why it's uh, important.
But that was the Rational Madness episode. Just wanted to talk a little bit around it because it's been part of the process for me. I think it's part of thinking for yourself, individuating, part of being hopefully a better human being, a better person, uh, having a distance between the ideas you have and a malleability too that they can evolve over time that you're not wedded to your ideas. So that's it. Hopefully that's been useful. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you on the next episode.